Nine rounds of golf for $90? Yep. The Minnesota Golf Passport is back and available now at garagelogic.com. As a golf passport card holder, you're entitled to nine 18 whole rounds of golf for just one low price of $90. Supplies are limited, so just go to garagelogic.com and type keyword passport. A $300 golf value for just 90 bucks. Now you got it. GarageLogic.com. Keyword passport. I'm not going to do the link. Why? Well, it's, I'm not sure I have it. Uh, no. But I'll do both pieces, and then listeners can create their own. We've talked about the uh, failed academy, the destroyed academy. What? Oh, I'm sorry. Kenny, I didn't know Action Force Team 1500 was in the house. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm doing today, right, yeah. actually. There's two of you now. Um, let me just uh, update a little bit here, Such. All lanes northbound W open through the Crosstown Commons. That jackknife semi gone. That huge slobber knocker westbound 94 past Lowry. That's been cleared. Southbound 35E. You'll see a brief delay approaching a wreck south of 36. Southbound 100 also slows way down at Duluth. Rolls slow down to, I'd say, Minnetonka Boulevard. We still have a plenteous amount of wrecks uh, around the system. Levels are way down, so it's not stop and go yet, but speeds are running under the posted. So I'd say, Such, give yourself an extra 20, 30 minutes. All right. We've uh, focused quite a bit on the failed academy. Yes. And Saturday's Wall Street Journal, uh, which is just a wonderful, wonderful. The Saturday Wall Street Journal is my favorite newspaper of the week. Why? It's just. You just like what it covers? Just, it's just wonderful. They have a section called Review. And the play story, Saturday, has this as its headline. The Closing of the Academic Mind. Subhead. A professor pilloried for her politically incorrect views asks if it's still possible to have substantive arguments about divisive issues. And when I read you this, keep in mind that what she wrote was considered controversial in her academic environment. Her circle. Her name is Amy Wax, W-A-X. She's the Robert Mundheim Professor of Law at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. All right. The Wall Street Journal piece is an adaptation from a speech she delivered in December. All right. Okay. I said to you earlier that I intended to curl your toes. Now you're making me nervous. And I can't, it's a very, it, it takes up half the front page of the review section and all of the second. So obviously I will not read you the whole thing, but I urge all GLers to read this piece. All right. Uh, Wall Street Journal, or Amy Wax, you can Google a number of things. There is a lot of abstract talk these days on American college campuses about free speech and values of free inquiry, with lip service paid to expansive notions of free expression and the marketplace of ideas. What I've learned through my recent experience of writing a controversial op-ed is that most of this talk is not worth much. It is only when people are confronted with speech they don't like that we see whether these abstractions are real to them. The op-ed 
which I co-authored with Larry Alexander of the University of San Diego Law School, appeared in the Philadelphia Inquirer on August 9 under the headline, Paying the Price for the Breakdown of the Country's Bourgeois Culture. It began by listing some of the ills afflicting American society. Here's what she and this Alexander fellow wrote. Mm -hmm. Too few Americans are qualified for the jobs available. Male working age labor force participation is at depression era lows. Opioid abuse is widespread. Homicidal violence plagues inner cities. Almost half of all children are born out of wedlock, and even more are raised by single mothers. Many college students lack basic skills, and high school students rank below those from two dozen other countries. We then discuss the cultural script, a list of behavioral norms that was most that was almost universally endorsed between the end of World War II and the mid-1960s. Then she picks up again what they wrote in their essay. Get, does this sound familiar? Get hmm. married before you have children and strive to stay married for their sake. Get the education you need for gainful employment. Work hard and avoid idleness. Go the extra mile for your employer or client. Be a patriot ready to serve the country. Be neighborly, civic-minded, and charitable. Avoid coarse language in public. Be respectful of authority. Eschew substance abuse and crime. These norms defined a concept of adult responsibility that was, we wrote, a major contributor to the productivity, educational gains, and social coherence of that period. The fact that the bourgeois culture these norms embodied has broken down since the 1960s, we argued, largely explains today's uh, social pathologies. And re-embracing that culture would go a long way toward addressing those pathologies. Uh, her dean wants her to take a leave of absence, if not quit. Woo! And she has been pilloried by the left for racism, homophobia, heteronormative, uh, on and on and on and on. In other words, the academy is so destroyed that those she works with believe it's controversial to tell people to get married, stay married, work hard, be patriotic, be charitable, don't swear in public. They believe that's controversial. It's quite a formula for success. That's controversial in their mm -hmm. minds. The reactions to this uh, piece raise the question of how unorthodox opinions should be dealt with in academia. In other words, her opinions are unorthodox. They don't follow the orthodoxy of the failed academy. The reactions to this piece raise the question of how unorthodox opinions should be dealt with in academia and in American society at large. It is well documented that American universities today are dominated more than ever before by academics on the left and of the political spectrum. How should these academics handle opinions that depart even quite sharply from their politically correct views? And then she goes on to make the brilliant argument, in my estimation, an absolutely brilliant argument, that the left pilloried her, her dean would just as soon get rid of her, and yet not one counter-argument 
to her contentions was ever offered. Mm. So we've reached the point where, and we've said this on the show before, the Mysterians, the true lefties, they they just shout you down, but they offer no argument to back up why they think she was wrong. Right. right. There's no here's, there's, here's there's why no she's conversation wrong on they're willing to until have until you get married to have kids. This is that's why. controversial. Because you're what being judgmental, patriarchal, whatever. But there's no there's no there's no one that wants to step forward and say, uh, Amy, I'll I'll take you on on this, and here's what I believe. That isn't happening. She just gets called a racist, a homophobe, whatever. Uh, and again, I can't uh, I can't. Uh, how do you fight that? A response published in the Daily Pennsylvanian, our school newspaper, and signed by five of my Penn Law School colleagues, charged us, meaning she and her co-author, with the sin of praising the 1950s, a decade when racial discrimination was openly practiced and opportunities for women were limited. I do not agree with the contention that because a past era is marked by benighted attitudes and practices, attitudes and practices we had acknowledged in our op-ed, it has nothing to teach us, but at least this response attempted to make an argument. Not so an open letter published in the Daily Pennsylvanian and signed by 33 of my colleagues. This letter quoted random passages from the op-ed and from a subsequent interview I gave to the school newspaper, condemned both and categorically rejected all of my views. It then invited students, in effect, to monitor me and to report any stereotyping and bias they might experience or perceive. The letter contained no argument, no substance, no reasoning, no explanation whatsoever as how our op-ed was in error. Well, you know why? Because her op-ed is not in error. There is nothing in error about what she wrote. Nothing. Why are they so offended by it? Let her let a teacher say that. Why do you have to say, "Hey, uh, Missy, you got to take a leave of absence now," or you're because uh... you can't bring about the mystery following these conventional norms and practices. If you follow these conventional norms and practices, there would be no such thing as the mystery. In order to destroy this country, you have to destroy the very thing she's writing about. Hard work, charitableness, but uh, she would be such good a, civic behavior. In that circle, she would be such a minority. What do you mean? Uh, she would be um, 1% of that academic uh, circle that would say, hey, you gotta, you can't be saying this stuff. If she believes that, she's in the minority with her peers. Well, that and that's what's pathetic. Unfortunately, she shouldn't be in the minority, uh, but she is. Uh, in any event, uh, wow. uh, you talk about the lack of moral and ethical clarity that we discussed the other day. Uh, much of it, I, I, I would think the greatest percentage of it is stemming from the failed academy, which is utterly and miserably failing. Here is a renowned professor. This isn't some. Talk show moron saying these things. Right. Get married, stay married before you have kids, which I've been saying Even for fifteen I know. years. Right. This is a this is the Robert Munheim Professor of Law at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, and she is found to be controversial by saying, "Be neighborly, civic minded, and charitable. Avoid avoid coarse language in public. Be respectful of authority. Eschew substance abuse and crime." Wow. And all she has experienced is labels uh, hurled at her 
uh, with no one willing to... What tolerance by the left? Well, there's no argument the left has, because they're wrong. They're just wrong. But at least what she's begging for is, will, will, will you at least take me on here and prove where right. I'm wrong? Right. Put your money where your mouth Can't is. Can't be done. the end of the world as we know it and he feels fine joe Souchere. robert yes you're on the air hello joe hi hi uh you mentioned that there's some uh we're unclear about what's right or wrong and unfortunately i think i've been listening to you for 10 15 years now and it's not unclear anymore what's right and wrong. It's just the opposite of what a normal GLer would look at as normal. And when you when you think about, like, I think you ha- you're a good student of of your environment here, and the landscape has changed. It's almost upside down. Um, if you know, unclear is your gender or your race now, which used to be locked in. Mm-hmm. Now that's unclear. But right and wrong, it is uh, redefined, and it's you got to be a student to understand the the new norms. So as a person who thinks he understands right and wrong, when I ask to clarify what white privilege is or some of the other concepts we have floating around, I am, I get descended upon by people who have their master's degrees in these degree in, in this kind of field. And I'm just unclear what they're saying because I feel like it's so emotional. Mm-hmm. So if you could Take some time and, and read uh, minutes from school boards and that and mm. see what kind of programs they're pushing. I don't think you'd recognize what you what you think would be standards. You know, reading, writing, arithmetic, mm. those are gone. We don't do that anymore so mm. much. All right, sir. Thank you. Yep. It's almost over. Over? Yeah, I did say, you say over. I did. I just said over. When it's over. This is what I was going to uh, attempt to link to the Wall Street Journal piece. Okay. But it's more of a corroboration than a link. There's a television show called The View. <laughs> yes. You're familiar with it in your uh, house, right? Yes, yes. It's a round table of, of shrill women is from my exposure to it. Uh, um, yes. Who, it's a train wreck that is watched in my home. Uh, on Tuesday... Uh, meaning what? Last Tuesday, panelists on The View mocked Vice President Mike Pence for his Christian faith, calling it scary and even saying that his religious beliefs are a kind of mental illness. I wonder if that was Joy Behar. Yeah, it was. Uh, The Vice President, a deeply religious man, responded Wednesday to the attack, saying at the event sponsored by Axios, it's just simply wrong for ABC to have a television program that expresses that kind of religious intolerance Pence added that criticism of anyone who is religiously observant shows how out of touch some of the mainstream media are. The pile-on started when The View played a segment of Celebrity Big Brother, in which former White House staffer Omarosa Newman said that Americans should be worried about Pence because he thinks Jesus speaks to him. I don't know if that's 
I don't know anything about that. I've never heard, yeah. In response to the video segment, panelist Sonny Hostin. I don't know who that uh, is. She's another panelist, yeah, female. Question the sincerity of Pence's religious beliefs while panelist Joy Behar suggested that Pence might have a mental illness. Uh, media outlets and social media critics immediately piled on Pence, with many of them putting the worst possible spin on Pence's faith and prayer life. Well, the media and critics have what the media critics, what the media and critics haven't done and won't do is to point out their attacks on Pence are part of a larger and very disturbing trend in American life—an ugly form of prejudice called Christian shaming. Uh, while we experienced Christian shaming recently when NBC sports commentator Tony Dungy came under fire for com- for commending Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles uh, of the uh, Eagles on his faith before the game and for calling Foyle's faith a significant factor in his confidence and performance against the Patriots. Dungy's remarks were met with a wave of social media outrage. Uh Okay, uh, Tebow's experienced it, uh, Dungy's experienced it, Pence has experienced it. Here, here's where where this is. Uh, here is, I'll, without having seen it, I'll bet you a hundred dollars. These uh, this roundtable on the View, yeah, have lashed out and demanded more gun control. Yes. Following the shooting in Florida. Yes. I, I'll bet you $100 they have. Yes. And and what they would have done is uh, uh, shrilly uh, hector the audience with the typical boilerplate, you know, this is Trump's fault, this is the Republicans' fault, this is the NRA fault, and yeah. if only there were more gun controls, this kind of thing wouldn't happen. They're the same people, the very same people who don't even understand the connection they're making when they say of someone of faith that that person's probably mentally ill. You see the connection? Yes, I do. These yes. these these washed-up hypocrites on The View, on the one hand, rip the hell out of Pence for his religious beliefs. On the other hand, their, their only response to a horrific school shooting is to... Uh, demand that the government do something because they don't understand what the problem is. They don't understand what the real problem is. It's just incredible. Now, next, I'm going to curl your toes and take you to where I think to where I think the Olympics are headed. Okay. All right. You've got Olympic thoughts as well. But first, yes, bunga bunga. Commencing garage logic segment number eight. Here's John Height. Thank you, Joe. Cloudy, light snow, 22 degrees. This update sponsored by It's Just Lunch. Today is the day, oh, is t- excuse me, today is day one for spring training for the whole squad down in Florida for the Twins. Whose day is this day? <laughs> Brian. What is these days? <laughs> Brian. What is these animals? What is these animals? <laughs> mongoose? Mongooses? Brian Dozier is not on. you get a punk by 10 mongooses? Brian Dozier not on hand. Uh, he had a kidney stone attack last evening. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. He expected to miss the first couple, three days of camp. So uh, once that all clears up, he'll be there. Boy, they'll do just about anything to get out of camp, won't they? <laughs> There's uh, Iron Leg there, Peg Leg. What the hell's his name? Yeah, he was putting on a show in uh, batting practice, yeah, apparently, today. Some long blasts, apparently. So, 
Uh, boy, those pictures down there, uh-huh. it sure looked nice. Can't wait to get the full report. Yeah. Three o'clock. I'm sure we'll get a weather report from Mr. Ricey. Unseasonably warm. Yeah. Cool down to 81. <laughs> Around two-thirds of the league reportedly had at least one scout on hand last week at Tim Lincecum's showcase, and SB Nation's Grant Brisby is reporting one club came away so impressed uh, that they're offering Lincecum a guaranteed major league deal. Now, the Twins were one of the teams on hand. There's no uh, word, though, who that team would be. Yeah, we already signed a washed-up guy to a major league deal. Yeah. <laughs> the now 33-year-old huh. Lipscomb hasn't pitched in the major league since 2016 when he was not very good for the I'd take Angels. a chance on him. Uh, I wouldn't give him a guaranteed major league deal. Make him a mid-reliever? Minor league deal, maybe. But uh, problem is you already got your uh, washed-up guy at Anibal Sanchez. You've only got so many. Uh, All right. You can get a couple innings out of him. I agree with you, Joe. I would have rather they sign Lincecum than Anibal Sanchez. So, Hell, if you're going to sign Big Sexy, who wouldn't you sign? Right. He's good off the bench. Mm-hmm. Did you see the photos of Big Sexy over the weekend? Yeah, no. in Texas. He's, his jersey he's looks sweating. like it should cover the mound. Oh, <laughs> Do we get him back? No, he's with the Rangers. Oh. Oh. Uh, Major League Baseball today imposing stricter limits on mound visits by players in an effort good. to speed up games. But they did decide against the 20-second pitch clock for the upcoming season. For more than a year of negotiations, the Major League Baseball Players Association refused to agree to the changes, but they also signed an agreement that they will not oppose the rules. Now, the amendment to the playing rules announced today includes a general limit of six mound visits per nine-inning game without a pitching change, whether by manager, coach, or player. The reason for a lot of those meetings, of course, players are worried about signs being stolen. So MLB apparently will install new telephone lines from dugouts to video replay rooms, MLB said the lines will be monitored. Person familiar with the decision told the AP all conversations on the lines will be recorded to try and cut down on cheating. You know, I said if you adjust your batting gloves, I fine you five hundred grand. I got a better solution. I would ban batting gloves. I'm not kidding. You cannot wear batting gloves. There's 20 minutes a game right there for a moron to readjust his batting glove. Well, and again, you know, we talk about this every year, but there is a rule. Once the batter enters the box, he is not allowed to leave. The problem is the umpires don't enforce it. Well, they can adjust their batting gloves while remaining in the box. That's true. So you're saying just eliminate that altogether. But then the pitcher you don't get could, to wear batting gloves. Right. If they do it, the pitcher could just throw the ball right away. If they're still in the box, right? So, John, back to the the, uh-huh. the change. that You said player, so not just the catcher, but if the second baseman goes out there, that counts as a mound visit. I would think so, yeah. Ah, interesting. Six mound visits per nine in a game. So, uh, News notes from today. A Make America Great Again hat, a Tea Party t-shirt, a moveonorg.button. If you wear any of those items to vote in Minnesota... A poll worker will likely ask you to remove it or cover it up. Like a number of states, Minnesota bars voters from wearing political items to the polls to reduce the potential for confrontation or voter intimidation. That, though, could change. The Supreme Court on February 28th will consider a challenge to the state's law in a case that could also affect other states. Wen Fa, a lawyer with the Pacific Legal Foundation, the group behind the challenge to Minnesota's law, says voters wearing political apparel shouldn't have to hang up their hats, turn their T-shirts inside out, or put their buttons in their bags just to vote. Wearing political clothing, he said, is a passive way to express core political values. He says the case is about free speech rights of all Americans. Well, the state sees it differently. In court papers, it says the law is a reasonable restriction that preserves order and decorum in the polling place and prevents voter confusion and intimidation. 
Some states do allow voters to wear whatever they want. Others bar campaign clothing directly related to candidates or issues on the ballot. Uh, Minnesota has a broad law that also bans political attire, including clothing promoting a group with understood political views, such as the Tea Party or MoveOn.org. Star Tribune reporting, Golden Valley-based Venture Bank, largest independent small business lender in the Twin Cities, today closed on a deal to be acquired by the Choice Financial of Fargo. Really? Yep. We just had the golf Is show. it the That's Choice right. Financial Minnesota Golf Show next year? Choice Financial sought a Twin Cities market entry to diversify its ag and energy loan portfolio. A venture bank, fastest growing 17-year-old lender of $730 million in assets, has equity of about $70 million. Uh, Mr. Zink is, uh, Zank, excuse me, is of course the fellow uh, you've met, Joe. Uh, he's a We've big, had him on the yeah, air before. Yeah. Uh, said privately uh, that uh, Venture earned about $17 million in 2017. Uh, he and uh, one other person who started the bank will also remain with the merged organization are veterans of the former Riverside Bank. That Minneapolis-based community business lender was acquired by Associated. Nice job, bank Michael. Court. Congratulations. So he will continue to run the Minneapolis uh, section. And he's a big listener, too. Yeah. Senator Warren Hatch has sent letters of apology to the ex-wives of Rob Porter, who resigned as staff secretary from President Trump's White House earlier this month over allegations that Porter abused the two women. Uh, Colby Holderness, Porter's first ex-wife, said in a text message, while I'd like to keep the actual letter private, I can confirm the content of it. As described elsewhere, I appreciate the senator's apology. Willoughby is Porter's second ex-wife. Porter had served as Hatch's chief of staff in Congress. Hatch had previously defended Porter, describing him as a decent man. An aide to Hatch told CBS News before the accusations were printed, Senator Hatch had been informed by multiple sources there was a coordinated effort underway to smear and undermine Rod. His comments were not related to the women or their accounts. Willoughby, who was the second ex-wife of Porter, told CNN that Hatch apologized in the letter. She called it a sincere apology for any pain he may have caused us. Former Vice President Joe Biden tiptoeing toward a potential run in 2020, even broaching the possibility during a recent gathering of longtime foreign policy aides. Huddled in his newly opened office steps from the U.S. Capitol, Biden began a planning meeting for his new diplomacy center by addressing the elephant in the room. Nuzzling. Would he run? He (laughs) said he was keeping his 2020 options open, considering it a real possibility. He said he has made no decision and doesn't need to yet, according to the people who were at the meeting. Presidential candidate twice before, Biden would be 78 on Inauguration Day if he were elected in 2020. I miss the nuzzler. Do you guys miss the nuzzler? Uh, uh, No. Good old Joe, huh? (laughs) Horrible story from uh, Mozambique. Heavy rains triggered the partial collapse of a huge mound of garbage. Mozambique's capital on Monday, killing as many as 17 people who were buried by the debris. That's a bad way to go. It really is. Authorities believe more bodies could be buried at the Hulin garbage dump on the outskirts of Maputo, and a search is underway. The garbage in the poor, densely populated area where the disaster happened rose to the height of a three-story building, according to the Portuguese news agency Lusa. Twelve people died, but Radio Mozambique put the death toll at 17. Uh, Twelve people Lusa had reported died, but Radio Mozambique put the death toll at 17. Half a dozen homes destroyed. Some residents in the area fled for fear of another collapse. The Hulin garbage dump is the biggest such facility in Maputo. People often comb through the garbage looking for food and items oh. to sell. Health workers have oh, all... Great story, John. Yeah. Yep. 
I said it was a horrible story. I, let's, I uh, it that's toe curling right there, Let's Joe. go to uh, Kenny and Action Force Team 1500. Hey, are there any grapefruits in there? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Southbound 35E slows around Tart Lake Road in Hugo. That's due to a wreck taking the right lane. Southbound W slows at 694 for a wreck at E2. Northbound W also very tentative from 88 up to County 96. And... The big one, we picked up another one. It's a jackknife semi northbound 35W at 38th in South Minneapolis. Dave Dahl coming up. Here's Dave Dahl in the Channel 5 Weather Center. Thank you, Joe. We're at 22 degrees, kind of hanging steady there. We're going to drop to 18 for the overnight low tonight, so not falling off too much. Light snow, fog, freezing mist. Um, maybe up to an inch or so of uh, accumulation tonight, uh, possibly two in a few places. Northeast winds around 10 to 15. Tomorrow, though, light snow, freezing drizzle, especially in the morning. We're going to get, uh, it's going to be kind of a very slow morning commute, the way it appears right now. An inch or two of snow during the day tomorrow, 22 for the high. Northwest winds at around 10 to 15, making it feel colder. And then all the way down to four above tomorrow night. Mostly sunny and still cold on Wednesday with a high of 20. More light snow, possibly a couple of inches here Thursday, Friday, and into Saturday. Highs do warm into the 30s over the weekend. 34 with partly cloudy skies on Sunday. Sunday, the best day of the two this weekend. Right now, Joe, we're at 22, and I have the records for the day. Feb 19. Here we go, Joe. 59. 59. In 2017. Last year. Yeah. I remember that, too. I don't. 20 below zero. 20 below. In 1941. In 1941. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Have you guys heard of Elizabeth Swanee? 33 years old? Yep. No, you haven't. <laughs> well, who is she then? This gal. I, did, we, am uh, I interrupting something? Yes, are you eating? We are, no, we are having a... Um, I don't there's know a, why. There's a professional voice in Southwest Florida yeah. recording a... Um, a, a spot. Yeah. And it's as good as go back, Larry. Don't be saving all this stuff. Okay. It's, so I didn't even hear your question. Have you ever heard of Elizabeth Swanee, 33? No, nope. never. She finished 24th out of 24 in Pyeongchang. She's a Harvard grad. She's a software engineer recruiter in San Francisco. She started skiing when she was 25. Okay. But she can't ski. I watched the video. Oh, is this the... Mm-hmm. I saw a great tweet about this. It said, uh, the world is gathering together 25,000 of the greatest athletes and this gal. She can't ski. She couldn't get up the hill. She uh, uh, she completed both runs without falling, but she did not attempt to trick any more advanced than turning around oh. uh, because that's all she can do. She was the rookie of the Olympics. How did she... Despite... A- Appearing to be only to be interested in completing her run safely while not attempting to score points or qualify for the finals, Swanee still managed to sound downbeat about her performance. Now listen to this, okay? Because there's one of I have one of two thoughts about you this story. What's going on, so yeah. we'll have a little grilling session here in a moment. Oh, good. I have been focusing on my. Uh, apparently, by the way, she has maternal grandparents who are Hungarian, and she somehow made the team by virtue of the number of competitions she entered, right, yeah. for half pipe, which you go down on two skis. I'm watching the video. Well, pretty, she can't ski. She's just she's doing what I would do. I can't even do that. But Oh, no. <laughs> she didn't do any. Now, no, no, no listen. Listen to her, though. Pay attention. Yes. 
I have been focusing on my Olympic experience, but also on the half pipe here and trying to go higher each time and getting more spins in. Swanee said she qualified to represent Hungary through her maternal grandparents after previously competing for Venezuela in other winter sports before switching her allegiance again in 2016 to prepare for Pyeongchang, a Harvard grad who once ran against Arnold Schwarzenegger in the race to be California governor. Swanee only started skiing at 25 and has been driven ever since in her quest to compete at an Olympics. She works as a recruiter for software engineers in Frisco. After raising funds through online donation websites to help fuel her Olympic ambitions, Swanee managed to qualify for Pyeongchang due to the sheer volume of competition she attended. Needing to consistently finish in the top 30 at World Cup events to make it to South Korea, Swanee has persisted with easy runs, sometimes not even attempting tricks, to make sure she does not fall. So she just, as long as she participated, that was okay. However, Swanee still hopes to inspire others who might be intimidated by the prospect of skiing up and down the steep walls of the halfpipe. It is an honor to compete at the Olympics, and I am really excited to compete among other amazing women from across the world, Swanee said. I want to show others that freestyle skiing is possible, and it is never too late to get into this sport and to help others to dream and to progress the sport in Hungary. I hope this can be a platform to inspire others. But she's not, she's not, she can't ski. Right, and uh, others, do not, others do not want to aspire yeah. to do what she did. <laughs> Who are you inspiring? Right. If the watching fans and media were left bemused by Swanee's runs, her competitors were more supportive of her presence at the Olympics. If you are going to put in the time and effort to be here, then you deserve to be here as much as I do, said Canada's Cassie Sharp, who qualified in first place with the two highest scoring runs. Frances Marie Martineau, who qualified in second, said she had no ill feelings towards Swanee for her participation. Okay. I am a super open-minded person, she said. This is why the Olympics are so special. Swanee's performance may have disgruntled some, but she was unconcerned by any negativity. People doubting me actually motivates me to improve more, she said. I worked really hard to come here, and there are only 24 women in the world that could be in the final, so I use that as motivation. Okay, there's only one of two ways to look at this story. All right. Either she's pulling off a great bit, a scam, okay, and that she knows perfectly well that it's a scam. And the fact that she's a software engineer yeah. leads me to believe that she is pretty intelligent. Or we are seeing quite literally the beginning of the end, if not the end itself, in the sense that she is attributing to herself the same credibility for being in the half pipe as somebody who's really good at it. I find that oh, eerie. Boy, that's, yeah, that's... <laughs> the, the, you, that that's taking you right to the threshold of the mystery that your that your achievement level is not important it's just that you're there you talk about a medal you're for one every, of 24 i'm one of the 24 I mean, this is ridiculous if this isn't a bit this is ridiculous you know what else i thought she of? can't Boy, ski. i hope it's a bit you know what else i thought of hmm. who did she beat out to earn the trip yeah that's a good point <laughs> I, I have no idea how it works to qualify well, well in hungary or why hungary why hungary would have allowed itself to be represented by this moron maybe because they did not have you know hungarians probably don't suffer fools and you know she's, some of those half she's 35 are, she started skiing when she's 25 in 10 years that's all the better she's gotten yeah she can't ski Everyone listening to this show could put on a pair of skis and do what she did in the halfpipe. Even me. Everyone. 
She can't ski. But the language she uses is that of someone who has absolutely achieved something. I find that frightening. I yeah, really do. That's pretty bad. Because there's because again, there's only two ways to look at this. Either this is completely a lark. Mm-hmm. She's having a laugh. You're having a laugh. And people are buying it. Or she's sincere. And if she's sincere, it means that as much credibility and achievement should be placed on her shoulders as anyone else post-modernization. It's That's, unbelievable. I'm it's get, unbelievable. I'm getting a good glimpse of the Hungarian national skiing finals. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Were they running through bales of hay at the bottom? Yeah, of the yeah. I just uh, you want to put up ropes? No, I just go some hay bales. Well, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that's either a bit and she'll be found out, or that's the future of the Olympics. Well, she figured out a loophole: just participate in at least 30 events and you qualify. Yeah, but then at least be can't be honest with me. Tell me, look, I figured out how to get in these games. I can't ski worth a right. damn, but I'm here. Right. She's pretending as though she deserves to be there. Then it's the latter. She probably really believes, and that is yeah. what is wrong with she skis, society today. She skis like someone that's going to wipe out two or three times down Buck Hill. Oh, God. <laughs> she wouldn't make it down Buck no. Hill. Buck Hill would be a a black run for her. Get the hay bales ready. Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores, sitting through the nuts and bolts of life. Joe Suchere. Or did we see in this woman the ultimate symbol of everyone gets a medal? Everyone uh, gets a participation medal. Is that where the Olympics are headed? That was my first. And then for these these instinct. other competitors to say such preciously silly things, I'm I'm super open open minded, man. That, no, no. After all the practices and stuff you did to let this moron come in and. Look like a fool going up and down the slope. She can't. The pipe. It'd be like if we showed up. Eddie Eagle, remember him, the ski jumper? Yes. But at least he. He had the jump. He could jump. Right, right. He just didn't jump very far. Right. (laughs) It'd be like if we showed up and said, let's play here. I'm going down that half pipe. I deserve to be here. (laughs) 1500 ESPN is KSTP, St. Paul, Minneapolis. No, we got Patrick joining us from the fort. Ah.